Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's look again in the Old Testament to the Psalms. Psalm 120 will be our starting place this morning. Last Sunday, we began a series on the Psalms of Ascent, which are 15 Psalms that we believe that Jewish pilgrims sang as they were making their way up to the holy city of Jerusalem to worship. These are indeed worship songs in every sense of the word. There are times, as we saw last week from Psalm 122, that the mere mention of corporate worship makes our heart rejoice. David wrote, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But if we're being really honest with one another today, and I want us to be, I expect that there are times in each of our lives that we really don't feel like worshiping God or or even praying to God. I'm gonna tell you up front today that I have one purpose for this sermon, and that is to encourage the saints of the Lord. We all need encouragement, I do. I think the most underappreciated person in all the Bibles, a man named Barnabas, who was given the nickname, the son of encouragement. I, I expect if you ever had a conversation with Barnabas, you came away encouraged. Maybe things are going bad at home for some of you, or at work, or you're facing a difficult health challenge that never seems to improve. I try to remind myself every week when I stand before you to preach that there are likely those in this room who are heartbroken and some who are elated. Some are exhausted and some are invigorated. Some are angry and some are sad. Some are jubilant and some have every other emotion in between. But I'm so happy to report that God's word speaks to every situation of life. As I said, there are some times when we don't feel like praising or praying, but there are other times when it seems that's all we can do. Things are so bad that prayers come out without thought or pretense in response to the circumstance of life. Such seems to be the case with the author of Psalm 120. Let's read that Psalm now. He writes, in my trouble, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me, deliver me, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Keter. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, the first thing that we notice about this psalm is that it is a cry for distress and out of distress. He says, in my trouble. Here was a guy that was in trouble. Well, one of the first things you learn to do as a new parent is how to interpret cries of distress. There are several different kinds. You'll learn this if you're a new parent. My wife is amazing at her ability to translate cries of distress from our children. So you'll hear a blood curdling scream from upstairs and I'll look to her and she'll say, ah. So so she can interpret through the pitch of the scream, whether it's anger, hunger, or there's likely to be bloodshed. (laughs) 
Job chapter five says, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. That is a statement of fact. That's not hyperbole of a pessimist. Just as there are certain laws of physics that work in every place on planet earth, it's a true statement that every person has trouble. I've often said that before I became a pastor, I knew cognitively, intellectually, that everyone had some problems. But what I was not prepared for was that there's a seeming unequal distribution of trouble. Some people seem to have more than what I would call their fair share. Well, the psalmist was familiar with trouble. And it seems it was a particular sort of trouble that comes with living among people who are slandering and persecuting you. Look at verse 2. He says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. So what we have here in verse 2 is a prayer for deliverance. Now the Bible has plenty to say about the power of words, doesn't it? One of the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20 is thou shalt not bear false witness. God hates a lying tongue, the scripture says. In the New Testament, we have nearly an entire chapter in the book of James devoted to the negative power of the human tongue. Listen, James 3.3. He says, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships for as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is, is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so you'll understand why I say that your teacher who meant well in elementary school when she told you sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never harm you, had never read James 3. Because James indicates that being lied about or attacked viciously verbally is often just as painful, perhaps more painful than physical injury. He compares it to being bit by a poisonous snake. That can harm you. And some of you are experiencing that right now at work where you're the only believer in your section. And there are those who wish you weren't there. Some of you are in school and playing on sports teams where you are in the vast minority as a believer and you have been vilified and slandered because of your faith. As painful as those two places are work in school, the most painful wounds I suspect come from the mouths of those who claim to be our friends or even worse, claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. However, we are instructed, aren't we as believers, not to return evil for evil. Christ, of course, is the greatest example of a person who was slandered maliciously but responded with grace. In fact, some of his very last words on the cross, speaking of those who had killed him, caused him great suffering, Father, forgive them. How can we have that Christ-like attitude towards those who slander us and tell lies against us? Well, we can't unless we believe God's promises. And apparently, 
the author of Psalm 120 believed the promises of God that he would vindicate the righteous. Look what he says, verse 3. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree? He is confident that one day God will punish the wicked. And so he doesn't have to take his own vengeance. And that's what the New Testament tells us, isn't it? Leave room for the vengeance of the Lord. But in the meantime, while we're waiting on the Lord to judge righteously, this life is painful. Especially so when you are surrounded by the enemies of God. And that would seem to be the circumstance under which this psalm was written. Look at verse 5. This is a lament. He says, Woe is me, for I sojourn, I travel in Meshech, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, Meshach and Kedar were the two extremes of geography to people who lived in the ancient world. Meshach is in present-day Turkey. Kedar is further south on the Arabian Peninsula. But the peoples that inhabited these regions of the world were all pagan. They did not know or love Jehovah. And what's worse, both these groups of people were known for their duplicity in business. They cheated, they lied. And worse than that, they had a love for violence. They liked to fight. And so when the psalmist is speaking peace, they want to fight. You ever met anybody like that? You do your best to keep the peace and they won't have it. You likely know people like that. They just want to scrap. It doesn't matter with the reason. If you said the sky's blue, they'd say it's green. They just want to fight. But we know, don't we, that Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are the peacemakers. God wants his people to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. But he knows that some people don't want peace. I think that's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 18 to write these words. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You can read between the lines there, right? Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. But he knows that we are strangers and aliens living in a world among people who hate us because they hate God. And because they hate God, they will not live at peace with us. We Christians are to seek to live quiet and peaceable lives, but more and more those around us are making that more difficult. We shouldn't be surprised. Never a more peace-loving person in the world than Jesus, and he suffered violence both physically and verbally. Jesus said to his disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. Whatever he suffered, we could expect the same. And we must remember as believers that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims, we are strangers on a journey and along the way we're bound to encounter those who don't love our God and therefore would seek to do us harm. That's hard to remember, especially when things are going good. You saw the news about the economy this week. Unemployment's never been lower. Incomes are up across the board. And just be careful. Because when times are good, we can forget that this world's not our home. 
This is what Peter said, 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, he's writing to Christians. He says, I beseech you, I'm begging you, as strangers and pilgrims. That's how Peter thought of all Christians living in this world. Strangers, which means aliens. We don't belong here. And pilgrims, those on a journey. We're moving towards our true home, which is heaven. He says, and as strangers and pilgrims abstain, have nothing to do with fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, having your conversation, which means your manner of life, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, there's bound to be people who are going to malign you and slander you because you're an alien, a stranger. You don't belong here. He says, just be careful that when they say bad things about you, that it's not true. Sometimes we Christians get a well-earned bad reputation in the community. We ought not. Basically what Peter's saying, if I can, can translate it, he's saying you ought to live such an upright and holy life among lost people that when they accuse you of wrongdoing, no one will believe it. You know, people like that, they walk so circumspectly, they're so upright in their speech and in their business dealings that if someone were to accuse them of a crime, people would laugh at the thought. No way. Not that person. They'd never do such. But we need these reminders that this world is not our home often. We need to be reminded not to invest so heavily in this life that we would be disappointed if the Lord would come back today. And I believe one of the best ways for Christians to remind themselves of that truth is through self-directed sermons. Preaching to yourself, in other words. I get to do that three or four times a week. Sometimes people stop me after the sermon and say, you were preaching at me today. And no, I was preaching at me and you got in the way. <laughs> but we need to preach to ourselves. David did. Many times in the Bible, David would say things like, I, I will say to my soul, soul. And then he'll preach a sermon to himself. We need to preach sermons to ourselves. I think that's what's happening here in the very next Psalm, Psalm 121. So, so these two go together, don't they? And so in Psalm 120, he's calling out of trouble, out of distress, knowing that the Lord will hear him, even though he's being slandered and lied about. He's surrounded by people who don't love his God. He says, what am I going to do? Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the mountains, for where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will not smite you by day. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. He's preaching to himself, reminding himself that he's a stranger and an alien, but the Lord has made promises. And so verse one, he says, I will lift my eyes. I'll look up to the hills. Remember we saw last week in Psalm 122 that Jerusalem was set up on a high hill. And from whichever direction pilgrims came to worship at Jerusalem, they had to ascend. They had to look up. 
And he says, I'm going to go worship in my time of trouble. I'm going to seek the Lord's presence, in other words. Because he knows that God listens when his children call unto him. He's ready. And more importantly, he's able to help us in our time of distress. Sometimes we have friends that we confide in and they're kind to let us vent a little bit. We tell them about our trouble, but many times those friends have no ability to help, even if they have the disposition to. God is not only disposed to help us, he is able to help us, isn't he? He sits on his throne, he does whatsoever he pleases. He makes certain promises to us in that regard. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Perhaps Martin Luther had this verse in mind when he wrote the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He's a strong tower. We can run to him when we're in trouble. He says he's a very present help in trouble. I know some Christians who believe that one day trouble's gonna be over, as it is. We love to sing songs about heaven, but don't forget, God is able and ready to help now. He is a present help, not just in the future. And because of that, we don't have to fear. What can man do to us? The worst thing that our enemies can do is kill us, and then we go to heaven. Though the earth be removed, that is, if, if this world comes to an end, and by the way, it seems like it's happening all around us. The earth is... The world, the culture seems upset, turned upside down. But we don't have to fear about that. God's still in control. Though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, whether there's political strife or natural disaster, doesn't matter. God's still on his throne. In verse 2 he says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. The reason we don't have to worry about the earth being upset is because our God made the earth. He knows how to control it. I think he's quick to come back to verse 2 unless someone think that he's an animist. He says, I'll look to the hills. Well, there are people who literally worship the mountains. He's not one of those. When he says, I'll look to the hills, he knows that's where he goes to meet God, the maker of those hills. So he worships the creator, not the creation. Here's what he's sure of. He will not allow his foot to slip. Mark that verse. That's the key to all, all of these verses. God will not ultimately let you slip. That means out of his grasp, out of his control. If you're looking for a verse in the Bible for assurance of salvation, here it is. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying he's never going to let problems come into your life. He's not even saying he's not going to allow someone to take your life as a martyr. He's saying... He won't ultimately let you go. I know people who are constantly fretting and worried about their salvation because they, they think in the back of their mind, it's up to me to stay saved. It's not up to you to stay saved. He says, he will not allow my foot to slip. He won't allow it because your salvation is, is in his hands, not yours. He who keeps you will not slumber, lest you think maybe he's going to doze off and allow Satan to, to take your salvation. It won't happen. Because he says he does not slumber, neither does he sleep. He said, wait a second, Pastor, 
Genesis says that on the seventh day, God rested from his labor. He did, not because he was tired, because he was done. Just like when you're playing the piano and you come to a rest, you just stop playing. That's what God did. He wasn't weary. God's not like us. He doesn't grow weary or need sleep or slumber. That is, he's on watch 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia. But what's most important on a personal level, level is that he is our keeper. He's our shade, our right hand. The sun will not smite by day nor the moon by night. That is, no time is he ever out of control or not in control, day or night, all the time. But look at verse 7, the key to the whole passage. The Lord will protect you from all, what? Evil. Apostle Paul understood that we are surrounded by the enemies of the Lord. People who don't love the God we love or serve the Christ we serve. But our battle is not against flesh and blood, is it? Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We know that what's really going on here is a spiritual battle, and the Lord will protect us from all evil. That shield of faith will quench the fiery darts of the devil. And most importantly, he will keep your soul. Of all the souls that God has given to Jesus, he has not lost one yet. And as long as God the Father is pleased with God the Son, you don't have to worry. He will keep your soul. This is what David was thinking, I think, in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But after a few verses of talking about the physical provision, he says, he restores my soul. David understood there was something more important than the physical, and that was his eternal soul, and God is standing guard over it. That's what Peter said, isn't it? That, that we don't have to worry about spiritual depreciation. We don't have to worry about someone stealing this treasure that's laid up for us, because God the Father is standing guard over it. And as long as God the Father is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, nothing can take us out of his hand. The Lord will protect us from all evil. He will keep our souls. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. That is, there's not a moment while you're alive that God's not watching over you. But it's even greater than that. There wasn't a moment since the beginning of time that God didn't have his eye on you. And there will not be a moment in all of eternity where God ceases to keep your soul. Encouraging? Amen. Praise a God that, that he, such a God, invites us to come to him in our hour of trouble. So, see, trouble is universal. You're not going to get out of this world without trouble. As the sparks fly upward, but God invites his children to come to him with our needs, our burdens, and our guilt. Because if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are, in more, you are in more trouble than you can imagine. You are in the greatest peril. There's no greater trouble than being lost. 
Scripture teaches that if you die in your sins, that he will judge you based on your life, not on the life of Christ. So here is the hour of decision. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, rescued. He'll hear your cry out of distress, just as he heard this man's cry in his trouble. He'll rescue you. So what should you do? Look to the hills. Lift your eyes up. Seek the presence of God. He's all around us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is likely prompting you today. Bringing to your mind your own sin and, and guilt. That's a good thing. Thank Him for that. Because He doesn't leave us in that state of lostness. He opens our spiritual eyes. He calls us to faith and repentance. He forgives our sins and He restores our soul. You say, well, Pastor, I, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm just, I've grown weary with this life. That's understandable. This life is hard. That's why we need one another, isn't it? The Lord has given us this church to help bear one another's burdens. So, that's what I want us to do for the rest of the time this morning. To lift one another up. You don't have to pray out loud. In your heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. and Let's just pray for the person to your left and your right. In front of you and behind you. And then when I pray, some of our gifted musicians are coming and sing. We're not asking you to sing this morning. Just pray. As they're singing, just pray for those around you. We're going to have pastors here at the front. We're going to have pastors also stationed in the balcony. If you want to pray with one of the pastors, just find the closest one and go and ask them to pray with you. Maybe there's a person here today that is ready to profess faith in Christ. So I'm going to be here at the front to receive you. If you're ready unashamedly before these men and women to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, you come. Maybe there's a family. Maybe there's an individual that's ready to plant your life in membership at First Baptist Keller. You come as well. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we are indeed encouraged that not only do you hear our prayers, our calls of distress, you can interpret them as a good parent. You're ready to help. You're an ever-present help in our time of trouble. Most importantly, Lord, you're able to help. You're all-powerful. You can do whatever you decide to do. So, Father, I suspect there are people in this room who are hurting. Some have cancer. Some have loved ones who've gone astray. Some are struggling in their relationships. Father, others are having financial difficulty, problems at work, school. Lord, you know all about them, and you invite us to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. Father, I pray we would do today as the New Testament instructs the church to help bear one another's burdens. Help us to be vulnerable enough to share with one another, Father, these prayer concerns. Help us, Father, to be inconvenienced out of love so that we may help a brother or sister in need. Lord, I pray you'd encourage the saints today. I pray you'd glorify yourself among us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.